Um, but I do want to open up God's Word and, and share uh, a little bit more from the book of Daniel. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. And while you're turning there, you may remember uh, the legendary coach Vince Lombardi. And Vince Lombardi was had his well-known quote saying, Gentlemen, this is a football. And that's how he started his football season. Reminding his football players as he was building champions that you start from the beginning. You build a championship team with the basics. This is a football, right? Coach John Wooden did the same thing with his team. And in basketball, he, he took his basketball team 10 out of 12 years into a national championship and won. And he said this, I think it's the little things that really count. The first thing I would show our players at our first meeting is how to take a little extra time to put on their socks and tie their shoes. This was a college coach that won 10 national championships, and that's how he started basketball. Gentlemen, this is how you put on your socks. Let me show you how to tie your shoes. Very basic, isn't it? Well, it goes beyond sports as well. Before we send our children to school, there are basic things. And I could probably ask Kathy, who does an awesome job with the the kids here, uh, what do these kids need to know before they go to school? Probably their alphabet, probably how to count, tie their shoes, those kind of simple things, right? And I'm sure there's a few more, right, Kathy? In October, we celebrated, and not a lot of you knew this, 500 years of the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Some of you probably celebrated, didn't you? You had a party at your house. It's a Reformation party, right? Uh, You put out a few Martin Luther things and read through them, right? Um, Something about the Reformation. Uh, There was five basic pillars uh, with the Reformation. Uh, Sola Scriptura, which is Scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. Faith alone, we're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Grace alone, we're saved by the grace of God alone. Christ alone. Jesus Christ is alone our Lord, Savior, and King. And to the glory of God alone, we live for the glory of God alone. When you consider these basic Christian faiths, we need to remember there's always a beginning to something, right? And for us, building a foundation in our faith is something as simple as remembering these five pillars from 500 years ago, right? But these basic things are what we need to know and understand and believe and have a solid foundation before we can ever face a fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or before we face a crazy king, as those three, as well as Daniel did, or before in Daniel chapter 6, we get to Daniel in the lion's den, before we face a lion's den or a fiery furnace or a crazy king, our foundation must be solid. So in Daniel chapter 6, we've shared this book is not written to provide a chronological order of history, Because as I told you, some of it has changed around and there's other books of the Bible that are written amidst Daniel. But to remind you of God's sovereignty in life. That God is all-powerful and almighty. In the midst of what goes on in our life. And how do we commit 
to living a Christ-honoring life when all these pressures come our way. That's what Daniel really shows us. And we, we get to Daniel 6, and, and everybody right away is like, oh yeah, Daniel in the lion's den. Matter of fact, you go to any Christian bookstore and you pull out a book on Daniel, you know what you're probably going to find on the book of that cover of Daniel? Probably a picture of a lion. I mean, that's the first thing we think about Daniel and lions, but it's so full of so many other things, but that's the first thing we come to. Because we sit there and think, how can an 80-year-old man, a man in his 80s, be thrown into a pit of devouring, ravenous lions? That seems so unfair. It is, isn't it? That's what we think about, right? Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. King also chose Daniel. Two other administrators as well to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. What a great thing, right? Daniel was one of the three leaders that was directly serving under Darius. And he shined above the other two leaders. Again, because of his great ability, because of his excellent spirit, because of his faith in God. His attitude shone above everything else. He had a good attitude at work, life. He made that, obviously I should say the others made that their object of attack when they looked at him. But words like insight, intelligence, extraordinary wisdom are associated with Daniel. When you read about Daniel, chapters 1 through 5, and you get to 6, you're still reading all these incredible things about the kind of man Daniel was. And as you read, it's good to weigh Scripture with our own lives, to ask ourselves, could I be described that way? Could I be described as a person with excellent spirit, of insight, extraordinary wisdom, or intelligence? The way I work, the way I, as Leroy said, compete, the way I study at school, the way I act at home, could, does that show an attitude of excellence, extraordinary, or am I just average? I remember uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Rudy. If you remember that movie, for those of you who never heard it, it's about a little five-foot-nothing young man who graduated from high school and wanted to go play football at the University of Notre Dame. Didn't get a scholarship, but he walked on. And here's this little guy competing with all these mammoth other men playing the game of football at the University of Notre Dame. And, uh, but this little guy had a work ethic like you wouldn't believe. And he worked hard, and he fought hard, and he scrimmaged hard. And matter of fact, these upperclassmen came to him and basically cornered him and said, Rudy, dial it down. You're making the rest of us look bad. All right? Don't you love it? I mean, how many people have come to you lately and have said the same thing? Hey, could you quit working so hard? Could you quit studying so hard? Could you, you're just making the rest of us look bad. Let me tell you something. If somebody's coming to you with that kind of verbiage, that's a good thing. Because you're living life with excellence. The Spirit of God working through you. However, the other administrators, they didn't approach Daniel with those kind of words. They didn't say, hey Daniel, can you dial it down? Look what happens in verse 4. It says, the other administrators, high officers, began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him because he was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Daniel is a faithful man. Let, let's find the flaws in Daniel. Can we, can we just seek him out? Let, let's, let's see. He's in, he's in a political office right now, right? So there's got to be some kind of dirt on him. He colluded with somebody, right? He took a bribe from somebody, right? 
oh, there, there's got to be something. There's got to be skeletons in his closet somewhere, right? He's a public servant, 50 years, fraudulent expense amounts. I'm sure he has them. No, 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 and no. And anything else you want to look for him? It would be a no. You want to know why? Because he was a man of integrity. What did it say in verse 4? He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. His enemies examined every single part of his life. His political background, his home life. Even if we could go even back before captivity, let's see if we can find something there. They couldn't find anything. They couldn't find anything on this man. Understand that Daniel wasn't sinless. Okay? He was a man of great integrity. So look at verse 5. They concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Yeah, we go after his religion. I mean, these men knew Daniel pretty well. And they, they knew that he could not be trapped into evil, but they also knew that he would be faithful to God in all of his circumstances. Why? Because he was faithful. He was always responsible and completely trustworthy, right? The world knows this. When they look at, at us, they may not know your theological stance on certain issues. They may not know all the Bible verses that you know. They may not know how much you're involved in a small group or not involved in a small group uh, or maybe your intimate worship with God. People, people may not know that about you, but they do know whether or not you are selfish or conceited. They know what kind of temper you have. And they know if you're honest or not because they can see it, right? They looked at Dan and they saw his life was different. They saw his commitment. They might have known his God or known about his God, but they looked at his life and they didn't see anything like that. The guy doesn't have a temper. The guy's always honest. I mean, we asked him to do something. He always does it. Completely trustworthy. We, we have a meeting. He shows up. Matter of fact, he always shows up 10 minutes early. Wow. Look at verse 6. So the administrators, high officers, went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. Here comes a little buttering up, right? We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders for the next 30 days that any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Incredible thing, right? These administrators knew Daniel, but they also knew Darius as well. They knew how to get to Darius. They knew what appealed to his pride. There's a quote I put up on the wall for you there. Author Adam Clark said this, What pretense could they urge for so silly an ordinance? Probably to flatter the ambition of the king. They pretend to make him a god for 30 days so that the whole empire should make prayer and supplication to him and pay him divine honors. This was the bait. But the real object was to destroy Daniel. Did you see, remember, they went to the king and they said, Hey, we, we talked with all of the administrators and the officials and uh, we're all in agreement, Right? 
liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, That's not true. They didn't go to all of them. Daniel is an administrator. I mean, he's in the top three. They didn't go to him. So Darius is thinking, well, they must talk to everybody, including Daniel. So, all right, let's sign off. Go ahead and worship me for the next 30 days. This will be awesome, right? And one side, it couldn't be revoked. I mean, it was established right then and there in that empire that when a king signs something, it cannot be changed. Nope, can't be done. It is said, it is done. Let me ask you for a second. What would happen? We live in such a, an incredible free nation, don't we? What would happen if by law it was illegal to pray to God for 30 days? And we couldn't come here to church for 30 days. What would you do? The staff, we would have to ask ourselves, well, what would we do? we still open up the doors? I mean, we'll be the first to go into the lion's end because we opened the doors for the people to come in. I would hope. She loves, I'm losing my voice. So when I raise my voice, I sound like a junior higher going through puberty. It's like, I would hope. Yeah, sorry. Totally lost track. Okay, sorry, junior hires. <clears throat> sorry, junior hires. Um. I would hope that as a pastor and as a person, not just a pastor, because everybody's like, oh, you're the pastor, so you're supposed to act that way. Okay, throw my title out, please. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Son of God. Okay? So I'm no different than you and your, your faith, right? I would hope that my faith would be strong enough that I'd say, these doors are open. Anybody else that wants to come in and worship, worship with me. And if we have to worship at, worship at the foot of a den of lions, so be it. But I would not worship a king. I worship a God. Chuck Swindoll, I'm sorry, Charles Spurgeon said this. We'll throw another quote up there on the screen for you. He said, suppose the law of the land were proclaimed, no man shall pray during the remainder of this month on pain being cast into a den of lions. How many of you would pray? I think there'd be rather a scanty number at the prayer meeting. Not though the attendance at prayer meetings is scanty enough now. But if there were the penalty of being cast into a den of lions, I'm afraid the prayer meeting would be postponed for a month owing to pressing business and manifold engagements of one kind or another. We'd probably come up with excuses. Hey, you know what? It's sort of funny. We were supposed to have bad weather every Sunday here out anyway, so we're going to close it. And, you know, we're really busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on. You know, holidays are coming up. We want to be prepared. And, and I've got stuff going on too. And, and you know, well, my, my voice is a little tired right now, and it needs a rest. So 30 days. So uh, just you want to pray at home, you just go and do that. We're not going to be opening doors. I'd hope at that point sometime somebody would say, boo, right? Don't act that way, pastor. Don't act that way, church, right? Stand for him. Pray regardless of what comes. You know, it, again, pretend you've never heard this story before. A lot of us have heard this story, right? But pretend you've never heard this story before. Pretend you have no clue about God who rescues Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Pretend you know nothing of a God who rescues like that. What would you know or what would you do knowing that your devotion to God could lead you to a den of lions? Well, I didn't know God could rescue like Moses or Joshua or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. What would you do? When a crisis arose, Daniel was ready. Look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, 
he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always done, giving thanks to God. You know, it seems like in this book, we have Daniel and the other Hebrew men always confronted with the test of their loyalties, isn't it? It's like, oh, here we go. We're going to test their loyalties again. And in this story, Daniel was a loyal subject to the king, yet he knew the king of kings deserved a higher loyalty. And he gave it to the king of kings. He refused to give the government of measure any kind of obedience that belonged to God alone. Now we know that people have the power to fire us, to hurt us, to break our hearts, to slander us, to make our lives generally miserable if they want. So we often bend to pleasing man because we don't want people to be mad at us. And we don't want people to slander us. And we don't want people to fire us or, or belittle us. And so we, we bend to pleasing man. But the power to obey God and stand for him comes from a settled understanding that God is in control. I will not bend to man because I know God is in control. So I will stay strong and I will bend only to God and not to man. Daniel knew that the safest thing he could do would be to radically obey God. That was the safest thing for him to do. To be untrue to God was never an option. Now we expect this world to throw temptation and persecution our way. We know that we live in a world where evil is is about us. Jesus warned us about persecution. There's three scriptures. John chapter 16, 33, 2 Timothy 3, 21, and 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14 all tell us, listen, it's coming. You will be persecuted. You will face troubles. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Let me read that to you. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. As a Christian, I don't know if you're ever surprised. I can't believe I'm going through this right now. Why are you surprised? If you stand for God, you will have challenges. You will. Instead, be very glad for these trials may make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Students, when you decide to get your team and pray around center quarter or pray, as Leroy said, the the cross country teams, they always gather up and it's amazing. I'll get pictures every now and then sent to me of not just a couple kids. It's like this huge circle of all these teams circling up. And it's like, you know, I know somebody's making fun of them right now. Blessed are you who stand. Blessed are you. Daniel didn't let the decree change his actions one way or another. He didn't, he didn't have to sit there and go, oh, I wonder if I should pray or not. He's like, I'm continuing my prayer life. Nothing's changing here. Sorry, not changing. I mean, you think about this. What was his strategy? And I call it a strategy because you have to be, you have to be intentional about it. If you're like, well, I hope to have time to pray today, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You won't. If you hope to have a devotional time or a quiet time, you probably won't. Hoping doesn't always work. Making a plan, having a strategy, being intentional about it's got to happen. And Daniel was intentional about it. He had a strategy. It wasn't an accident or, or I'm hopeful of a result. He had a strategy. 
I'm going to throw out these strategies to you. If you look up on the screen, first of all, he had a place. If you look in Scripture, he said he prayed in his upper room a private prayer with no intention to press others. He just went up into his room where he always prayed. I'm going to go always pray. This is what I do. I go to my place. For me, it's when I get up in the morning, start the pot of coffee, get my Bible. I go to the chair next to the fireplace, uh, depending on the weather. Off this time of the year, it's coming on. Okay, But there I am with my Bible, my coffee. Sometimes coffee isn't ready yet. Start up and later. I mean, there's my place. Do you have a place? Purpose. He prayed with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Now, remember the place of sacrifice was there even when there was no sacrifice. In 1 Kings 8.5, Solomon asked God to give him special notice of his prayers of his people when they prayed towards Jerusalem and the temple. And so Daniel, in accordance with what was going on as Solomon had said, he's like, I will turn myself towards Jerusalem. So he had purpose, like I'm praying as, as I always should pray, is what God's told me. There's a purpose behind what I'm doing today. And then a position, he got on his knees. And as you read through Scripture, Jesus got on his knees, Stephen got on his knees, Peter got on his knees, Paul got on his knees. Kneeling is, uh, William Helsop said, kneeling is a begging posture that we must all come to God as beggars. But when you read through Scripture, the use of, of kneeling and how it was used was used multiple ways. In Mark 1.40, a leper comes to Jesus and, and got on his knees before Jesus. But he said, if you will, make me clean. Heal me, right? But it wasn't so much an act of worship in that Scripture. That Scripture was, you have power to be able to do the incredible. So I'm coming to, I'm kneeling to you knowing that you have power. That's one form of kneeling. Another form of kneeling in the Scripture, which you can find this word used 11 times in John's Gospel. Nine times it's used with the woman at the, Samarit, uh, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And they're around there. And when we talked about kneeling there, it all had to deal with worship. We'll get on our knees to worship. The Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word is Barak, B-A-R-A-K, and I know I'm not pronouncing that correct, meant to kneel, and it's a similar word to the word Barak, which B-E-R-E-K, just change a few letters there, which means knee. Now, the Hebrews regarded the knees as a symbol of strength. So when you bent your knees to God, you were taking your strength and you were saying, my strength is nothing compared to your strength. Another way in which the word was used. One of the most important passages of kneeling is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Would you turn there with me, please? Philippians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. You go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. You get those little books, Galatians, Ephesians, if you got any Philippians. Philippians 2, 6 11. In this passage, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He, Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 7 now. Philippians 2, 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all names, that the name of Jesus, every what? Knee will bow, right? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. One of the most incredible passages where we talk about every knee, every single knee, not one knee in this room is exempt. 
No matter how young you are, how old you are, how new in faith you are, whether you have faith or not, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Where are you at in that? Your relationship with him. Next thing of his strategy was that of persistence. He prayed three times a day. I'm going to pray three times a day. Now, this doesn't mean you need to pray three times. You can pray as much as you want. You can pray 300 times a day. You pray once a day. I don't know about you, but I'm in conversation a lot with God throughout the day, right? Especially when somebody pulls out in front of me. Lord, help me to hold my tongue, right? We see incredible things and we give God praise. And last one is praise. His praise was filled with thanksgiving. Daniel's strength and courage and his choice was easy, okay? It wasn't like, oh no, lion's den, what do I do? Can we go back to what I talked about having that foundation, that Christian, that solid foundation? His foundation was solid from the beginning. Because it was so solid, he's like, really? Pray or lion's den? Well, I'm going to keep praying, so... You know, might as well hope I smell good for those lions because I'm coming their way. I mean, because I'm not going to stop praying. His courage was easy. We sit there sometimes and think, oh, he was so courageous. No, he was solid in his faith. It was easy for him, in my opinion. And maybe not. Maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe he's sitting there going, I'm 80. Uh, <laughs> I've had a good life. I'm going to keep praying. Lions, whatever. You know, I don't, I don't know. But today, I wonder how much of a foundation do we have? And I, I want to give you a challenge here. We're not even going to get into the lion's den this week. Uh, we're going to do that in two weeks, okay? Today, I want to challenge you to solitude and silence. A foundation in our faith that we need. Uh, you know, a prayer strategy is rare. A lot of us have a hard time getting quiet with God because we got so much going on. Something happened a few years ago, about two decades actually. The lives of millions of Americans were changed because something was invented. It was called a mobile phone, right? And then one decade ago, it really changed because then we had the smartphone. Okay? Now, uh, that was a game changer because most of you already know this. And, and I was reading an article on doc, from Dr. Tim Elmore um, and he, leadership development man, and, and I was reading these stats, I was blown away. He said, most of us will consult our phones 80 times a day, which means 2,400 times a month, which means 30,000 times a year we're grabbing this. 30,000 times a year. Have you picked this up 30,000 times this year? Just a thought. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, you think about this, this has become what? Our mailbox, our TV, our consultant, our teacher, right? Our photo album, our newspaper, our radio, our roadmap, our wristwatch, our camera, our board game, our library, our party line. And, and basically, according to Pew Research, um, university students put the same category as air and water. Uh, it's a must. It's like an appendage to their bodies, you take this away from certain people and they will cry. They would rather have their arm amputated than lose this. Truth. I'll admit, you won't find a lot of distance from me and my phone. Okay? I'll admit that. I'm, I'm not here saying I'm better than all you on this. I'm saying I need help on this as much as maybe some of you. 
I'm amazed to discover how much research has been done on cell phone usage and how it affects our minds and lives in general. And today, scientists are just uncovering so much information every day. It's intriguing and it's, it's disconcerting. I mean, while we have greater access to so much knowledge, it's pulling us away from the presence of God. I think I'm going to throw this on the screen. The different issues that come up, <clears throat> excuse me, with what the phone does and how it hurts us. Distraction, concentration. Studies were shown in 2015. iPhone users, <clears throat> when their phone went off, unless the worship team come on forward, when their phone went off and they couldn't answer it, their blood pressure skyrocketed. Anxiety levels skyrocketed. Brain capacity. Test was done in two different groups. One group of students in a room, phone right with them. Another group of students, phone, packed away. Another group of students, phone, out of the room. Guess which group of students did better on their test? Third group. The intellect of a student diminished the closer this was to them. Distraction. When I think about this, all the things that go on with our phones, and I, I'm telling you, I struggle. I was at a wedding yesterday, outdoor wedding, Mohican State Park. It's probably why I lost my voice. I was screaming outside. No. <clears throat> and I looked around at 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, the book I was doing. You know, I, I saw some guys behind me. Some of us were timing 20 minutes. Yeah, no. Distraction, right? Pause, put the phone away. Outdoor wedding. Young man and woman come together, put their vows, surrender to each other and to Christ. It's incredible. I got caught up with this in my pocket and I go, man. Put it away, right? At some point in time, we just, we got taken, we just got to throw it, right? That was not my phone. I think it, uh, <clears throat> If you really think I'm going to throw it, I'm, I, listen, I'm not completely surrendered to all of the nonsense. That is what we need to do with our phones sometimes, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking on this because this was an easy thing to pick on. It really is. But just a point being made, how much silence and solitude we have in our lives. It's hard to get silent with God with this going bing, 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 bzz, bzz. How much silence can we have with God? Challenge, right? Would you stand and pray? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. God, I thank you that we can come and worship you. And I think of Daniel and what he went through. God, there's no way 
No way he could have done this without having a time of silence and solitude. There's no way he could have said, Oh, I'm going to stand for you because I've been, you know, working out with my Bible and or my scrolls. I'm going to go into the temple all the time. I believe he had to have a lot of quiet time with you. Where he got on his knees and he prayed. He got quiet with you and just said, Speak to me, God. You are, you are the God above all gods. And he got quiet. God, we just need to get quiet with you. And God, I know I'm as guilty as anybody else. When I allow technology or my busyness to get in the way of you and me. Forgive me, God. God, I pray as a church we can recognize this too. If, if, we're, if we're struggling with this, if we're, having, if we're not having any kind of quietness with you, silence or solitude, speak to us right now, God. Let us know what we got to do. Let us know what we got to do to get quiet with you. That's the only way we're going to be able to face this world. That's the only way, God, we're going to be able to face the lions or the fiery furnaces or the bills, the awkward relationships, and the pain. Quietness with you. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. We sing to you now, God, because you are worthy of all praise. Not in Amen.